Well, once again, uh, good morning, and uh, particularly if you're visiting us, it's uh, wonderful to have you here. In our morning uh, sermon series, we're tracking uh, the overarching narrative of the Bible in our series, which is called The Big Story. And at this point, uh, we've got to the, the stage, which is God comes. God comes. And during the time that we've been uh, looking at the big story, we've seen God's action in creation. Uh, and after that, where people chose to rely on themselves rather than God, how God chose a people group, the people of Israel, who would become a blessing to the nations around them. And God delivered Israel from the oppression and slavery of Egypt and led them into the promised land. And throughout the sweep of the Old Testament, the big story describes how repeatedly God reaches out to his people, the people of Israel, calls them into covenant relationship with him to be a blessing to the nations around them. And their repeating pattern is to respond, to follow, and then to reject God's ways. And this lands them in a place of exile, during which time the prophets start to speak of a new future. Here's what uh, Jeremiah says in chapter 31. This prophecy from those times. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was like a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Speaking to the future. And then there is silence, apparent silence, for decades and decades. And at the time where we pick up the big story again, the time of the New Testament. Israel is under Roman occupation and ruled by Herod the Great, a puppet king, but nevertheless a megalomaniac and cruel tyrant. An uncertain and unpredictable world. And it is into that place and time that God comes. It's marked by a watershed in our history. From BC to AD, God comes into a time and a place. And this morning I wanted to reflect on God's coming using a, a passage of scripture which we hear 
often at Christmas. And I'm going to read from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. This is the moment where God comes. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The first phrase of the Gospel of John. John's description of the life of Jesus. The first phrase, in the beginning. And there's a conscious echo there, back to Genesis chapter 1. Right at the beginning, creation. Uh, Tom Wright comments, No Bible reader could see that phrase in the beginning and not think at once of the start of Genesis, the first book in the Old Testament. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Whatever else John, the author of this gospel, is going to tell us, he wants us to see his book as the story of God and the world. Not just the story of one character in one time and place. This book is about the creator God acting in a new way within his much-loved creation. It is about the way in which the long story which began in Genesis reached the climax the creator has always intended. In the beginning, the word being there at creation. And in Genesis, we see that God speaks and life comes into being. And God said, is the repeating phrase in Genesis 1. And life comes into being. And the word described in John's gospel, the word that he uses there is a Greek word, logos. And there's a conscious use of that word logos because the Greeks and the Romans, the, the prevailing culture at that time, because the, the Roman occupiers had taken a lot of their culture and their philosophy from the Greeks that had preceded them, they talked about the Logos being moral absolutes. To be a good person, you had to be aligned with the Logos. That was what the philosophers understood. They saw the Logos as a kind of principle of, a, of rationality lying deep within the whole cosmos and within all human beings. So they saw the Logos as something within that principle of rationality and a way of living to moral absolutes, something external. These philosophers said, get in, get in touch with this principle and your life will find true meaning. 
when this gospel was being read and it was read out loud to people, people would hear that word logos and in that culture make that link to what the philosophers were saying. But John is challenging that understanding because he's saying the logos, the word, was with God. The logos, the word, is not a principle or a moral absolute. The logos is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ, who was with God from the beginning of time, from creation itself. So in the big story, God comes in Jesus. Jesus comes. And the word who was with God at the beginning, Jesus, all, made, all things were made through him. And the life that he brings to everyone is light. We sing that in December too, don't we? Light and life to all he brings. And this light overcomes the darkness. Again, the first part of creation, let there be light, the separation of light and dark. So from this wide-angle lens opening to this gospel, because it's an incredibly wide angle, isn't it, to bring from creation into that Roman-occupied territory, So from that wide-angle lens from the very beginning, the next verse brings us to earth. There is a person, John, in this case John the Baptist, who will tell people about the light, and then there's the description of the light. So I'm continuing to read from John chapter 1, and now I'm reading verses 16 to 14. Sorry, 6 to 14. 16 to 14 would be quite impossible to read, wouldn't it? Be a bit back to front. 6 to 14, that's where I'm heading. Right. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
the word. From being instrumental at the very beginning of time, the person of God steps in. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. In this big story, when God comes, it is the person of his son coming from the father. The son who is this wonderful combination of grace and truth. From Matthew and Luke, two of the other gospel writers, with those well-known passages we read at Christmas, we read of the nuts and bolts of what this taking on flesh actually meant. The miraculous birth of Jesus in an obscure outpost of the Roman Empire. Birth. Not a beam-me-down Scotty Star Trek moment. Actual birth, with all that that entails. We also receive glimpses of what moving into the neighborhood meant. Escape to another country from a murderous tyrant. Returning to live in the family home in Nazareth, with the extended family there. Learning the family business from Joseph the builder, and that did include carpentry. Commuting on foot through an occupied land. Regular rhythms of worship in the synagogue and annual pilgrimage to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus, known as Joseph's son, part of a family with mothers, with a mother, brothers and sisters. Jesus upsetting his parents, eating, pooing, playing, and then learning his trade. And all through this, hidden under the radar. In one way, it's hardly surprising that John remarks in verse 10 of our reading, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Do you recognize Jesus? Do you receive Jesus? See, the people even of his own town, Nazareth, where he grew up, they didn't recognize or receive him. In fact, there was a clear rejection of him. After Jesus came to the synagogue in his hometown in, Israel, in Nazareth, he read um, this from Luke chapter 4. Sorry, which Luke chapter 4 quotes. It was a prophecy from Isaiah. Luke 4, verses 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He read this, the set reading for the day, and then this builder's son, who'd grown up among the friends sitting in the synagogue, sitting in their trade groupings, says, 
Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. There must have been astonishment amidst the excitement of a passage that speaks of the Messiah, the one who would rescue his people. And the people say, isn't this Joseph's son? How's that at all possible? Think of somebody that you've grown up with suddenly making a statement like that. I think all of us would have been astonished at that moment. But what happens next moves to rejection. You see, it's not so much that he's Joseph's son that leads to the rejection. It's what he says next. And what Jesus next says next brings us into the story. And what he says next offends his hometown people. Because what he does next in the sermon that he brings after reading that passage is to bring two examples from the Old Testament of God blessing people who are Gentiles, who are people who not people in the, the people of Israel, people who were separate from the people of Israel. And he gives the two examples of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath and Sidon and Elisha and Naaman the Syrian. The widow was provided for. Naaman the Syrian was healed of leprosy. Jesus is saying the blessing of God is for those people too. And that absolutely stirs up everybody in the synagogue. How can you possibly say that God is going to bless those pagan oppressors that we're under at the moment? And they drive him out of the synagogue, they take him up to the top of the cliff, and they are getting ready to throw him over the cliff, which was the precursor to stoning. And people who were stoned, it was for either heresy or blasphemy. So that is what's happening to Jesus at that moment. They completely reject what he's saying. Jesus simply walks back through the crowd and moves on to a place, to an extended family where he is received. Simon the fisherman's house in Capernaum. And all through the Gospels, we continue to see this conflict where the custodians of the law from the Old Testament clash with Jesus, the Son of God, who keeps breaking the law by demonstrating God's kingdom on a Sunday. He heals people. Lame people can walk. He, the oppressed are set free. And it's terrible because it's happening on a Sunday. And we're not allowed to do anything on a Sunday, say the Pharisees. Jesus is bringing in the kingdom of God. He is fulfilling 
the prophecy that he spoke over that we read of in Luke 4. And here is the good news recorded by John in verses 12 and 13 of our reading. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What's going on in the big story? The family of God is extended. The invitation comes to everyone. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. These hugely famous words, but listen to them in this context. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the boom moment in the big story. I don't think I did a good job of saying boom there. Shall we try a boom together? Right. This is the boom, thank you, moment in the big story. <laughs> Through one person, Jesus, God invites the whole world to be adopted into his family. This invitation isn't limited to a chosen few. It is for everyone. I mean, there's so much that could be said about this. I want to home us into one question this morning. What does it mean to be adopted into the family of God, to become a child of the Father? What does it mean to be adopted into the family of God, to become a child of the Father? Well, it means that when God, the Father, looks on you, he sees Jesus and all all that Jesus has done and all that Jesus means. There's no need to prove yourself to others, no need to constantly check up on yourself. Relating back to what I said earlier, there's no need to try and live a good life according to moral absolutes or to try and be your own internal referee of how you're doing all the time. God is your validation. God now validates you. To those who receive God, who believe God, who put their trust in him, God is your validation. Well, how does that play out in real life? How does that play out in life here on earth? How do you live from that reality of God validates you? When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. We sing that in one of our songs. Do we believe that? So I used to work for a big retail company. And Monday mornings, when I worked in their head office, I worked in stores and then I also worked in head office. Monday mornings in head office... Oh, really hard. 
because the Monday morning was to find out what the takings were the previous week. And people's value, including my value, was based on had we taken more money than the previous year, had we made a bigger profit than the previous year, or had we not? And we were not allowed to give the excuse of weather. <laughs> so if it was an unseasonably hot October and the winter coats had not sold, it was not acceptable to say it was a hot week last week. And if it was a freezing cold April and the swimwear had not sold, and we do live in Britain, so these were pretty regular occurrences, we weren't allowed to say it was quite cold last week. Nobody really wanted to wear swimwear or buy swimwear. I would go into work on a Monday morning on the commuter train, getting my makeup on, going over the points at Wembley, the lipstick going up my cheek at that point because the point, you know, that, with a sick feeling in my stomach. What's it going to be this week? Are we up and then everybody's up? Or are we down and everybody's down? Some days I would go into work and I would know that God was proud of me that God saw me in the same way as he sees Jesus. And I would go in, and that would not affect my mood. How the sales went wouldn't affect my sense of identity, because my identity was rooted in God, because I'd heard that and received it and was living it out. I don't pretend, though, that's not a battle. To remember to recall, to always be saying that. Think honestly about where you get your validation from. Is it trying to live to your own set of, oh, well, I've done this well? Is there a kind of inner conversation, an inner assessor going on, an inner critic Or is it because you're trying to impress other people? God comes in Jesus and makes it possible for us all to be called children of God, for those who believe and receive children of God. That is our validation. So our identity is not founded on validation from external things, family, jobs, great games of golf. Not validated from our internal self-determining constant assessor. No, our validation comes from God. Tim Keller says this, the only eyes in the universe whose opinion counts sees you in Jesus Christ. You are more precious than all the jewels that lie below the earth. 
going to say that again. The only eyes in the universe whose opinion counts sees you in Jesus Christ. You are more precious than all the jewels that lie below the earth. We are adopted. Our name and our reputation comes from God. And that gives us our unique identity. So that is who we are. And then what we're called to be flows out of that. So when I worked for that retailer, what I was called to do was to work, was to increase the sales, was to try and make a profit. But I needed to do that from a place of knowing my identity in God. And then the work flows from that. This purpose that comes from that identity. Also, as I'm in the workplace, are there opportunities to bring some of the look for things in? Is there a word of kindness I can bring to somebody? I can, can I pray for somebody? Those opportunities came and went. And came again. And sometimes I would be praying at home. There's a purpose to our lives. Lived out. It's identity and calling. So what you do in your everyday life is valid. It's absolutely valid. But don't let it validate you. Yeah. So next week, as we look at Jesus' death and resurrection, the next part of the big story, we'll hear more of how Jesus did that. But this morning, as we move into our time of response, I want to give us a route to adoption from this passage in John. And it's three words. Firstly, recognize. Recognize Jesus and who he is. Then receive. Believe in his name and receive the new identity, the covenant brought right into the family and then respond live out of that identity you're blessed to be a blessing and know that what you do wherever you are through this coming week wherever you're living your life following Jesus, whatever you do, that is valid, but don't let it validate you.